LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. Thank you for joining me on LBC 97.3 this Sunday morning. Coming up in an hour, we've got some great people on In Conversation. I'll be talking to Heston Blumenthal about his new TV series, as well as some fantastic Christmas treats. And the wonderful Kirsty Allsop, whose new show, Kirsty's Vintage Homes, is just in the screens. First, though, you get to hear my best bits from the week. And as you've probably noticed, winter is upon us. Oh, damn it. Yes, was it yesterday morning? Yes, Sunday morning was so terrible. I mean, it really was so terrible. I sort of got up and uh, we were supposed to be going out for a, a nice walk around the park. Well, that was kind of scuppered. I looked out the window and I thought, it cannot get any worse than this. You could literally stand there yesterday and watch the leaves being blown off the trees. So we stood there and watched the leaves being blown off the trees. I thought, well, the walk's not going to happen. There's no way you're going to walk a dog, you know, in this vile weather. So I drove down to my brother's in the vile weather. It wasn't probably the best thing I've ever done in my life. But you kind of feel a bit more safe if you're in the car. And I was driving down the motorway, and I thought I'd be quite good, actually. If I actually sort of um, am sort of keeping the car to an even 65, 70, that's fine. I I can sort of tootle along and do things like that. The amount of cars that were passing me yesterday, it was an embarrassment. Whether or not they actually like to pass cars like mine, I've got no idea. But you do get there, and it, it gets to that situation where you look at them and think, you must be the stupidest people under God's earth. They were bombing down the motorway. You know, it, it wasn't young people. This wasn't boy racers. This was middle-aged elderly people, kids in the cars, everything. And then, luckily, just as we got about two miles outside on the M3, there was a huge accident on the other side of the road. I say luckily because it kind of slows people down for a little bit. People slow down and they look at the accident. This was a car that had flipped over, quite clearly going too fast. Another idiot driver. You know, you can only hope that it was serious enough to sort of warrant them going to hospital. Because it just, there's nothing that puts people off pushing their foot down on the accelerator on the motorway. And so, of course, we all slow down. Everybody looks at it and you think, oh, well, that's all right. It's on the other side of the road. All, I do, all I'm working out is how far back the traffic tails. By the time I came back a few hours later, well, in fact, an hour later, it all been cleared. But the car was upside down and everybody slows down and looks at it and thinks, oh, it's great. And then within two minutes, people have speeded up again. So I'm happily bombing down the motorway, you know, pootling up, 65, 70. I wasn't really that bothered about getting there in any particular time. I thought, oh, if I get there in an hour, I get there in two, I couldn't care less. Makes no difference. So I, I, sort, of, I sort of got there, and I was complaining to my brother and his girlfriend about how dreadful the driving is on the motorway, and how awful people are, and nobody's got any time for anybody anymore. And it was just dreadful. You know, I mean, there really were, the amount of people... One car, I mean, he, if he wasn't doing 100 then I couldn't, you know, work anything out at all. It was ridiculous. I mean, it was so bad. So anyway, came back, and by this time, the weather was bad on the motorway, but in London, it had brightened up. <clears throat> so I phoned a friend of mine. Well, I say phoned a friend of mine. I've only just discovered a thing on my phone whereby I can actually dictate... <clears throat> I think it's always been there. Dictate the uh, the text message, and then it just sends it to the person. So that was quite good. So I was doing that, saying, on my way back, <clears throat> excuse me, what's the weather like? And he said, oh, it's great, it's sunny. So go round, pick him up, go to the park, and, of course, just as we get to the park, it clouds over. And I go, do you know, it's sod's law, isn't it? You get there and it clouds over. Anyway, so we start walking round the park, and normally, Regent's Park, of a Sunday morning, it's chock-a-block with football teams and, you know, youth teams out there, and they have the little kids as well, the little tiny kids of about three and four, and their little football kit, and they just want to kick a ball into a goal, and it's, it's really good. Nobody was there. It was, like, deserted. It was like a ghost town. So we walk round, and, of course, the, I mean, it makes no difference to the dog. The dog just loves it all the time. Because it's outside, and there's other dogs to see and chat to and stuff like that. So we go all the way round, and then we start messing around with the new iPad. 
which is about half the size of the current iPad that I've got. And, um, and I, was, I was messing about with that. I'll tell you about it on Wednesday, because I actually wasn't a fan of it. When somebody explained it to me about a week and a half ago, and they said, you gonna, I said, no, what would you want one for? I was talking to my godson. And he said, oh, it's really cool, isn't it, Uncle Steve? And I said, well, I'm not really that bothered about it. Well, having played with the blooming thing yesterday, I've decided I want one now. So I'm going to have to go out and buy one of the things. It could be my, my Christmas present, my, my treat Christmas present. But uh, Saturday was very good. Saturday was very good indeed. We, uh, we went shopping in Chelmsford. And I've not been to Chelmsford for a little while. And it's really, really nice. It's really, really good shopping. It's really, really good shopping. It's very good. They've got a nice market in the middle, lots of plants and things like that. Really busy. And, uh, and I found my Christmas present, which is great. Because in, in our family, uh, with my godchildren, you never know what to buy people. So what we do, coming up to Christmas, if we see something we like, I go, that's nice. And then Sharon will say to me, right, do you want that? And I'll go, yeah. So she'll buy me that. She'll keep it for Christmas. And then I say, well, you know, you tell me what you want for Christmas. And that way, at least everybody gets what they want. So I saw this shop, and it was like a candle shop. And it was in one of the, um, one of the covered shopping malls in Chelmsford. And it's, it's a vase, a blue, vivid blue crackle glaze vase. The difference is with this one, it's got a light bulb inside it and the light bulb quite clearly lights up and illuminates the vase. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. And so I saw it and we'd, we'd seen one in the window and we, we had a look in the shop and I went, God, that's really nice. And she said, do you like it? I said, absolutely. She said, do you want it for Christmas? I said, yep, sorted that one out. So we, we bought that. Then we came back and then Danielle, who's at that age of going to parties, had to take her to a party in the middle of the countryside. I think it was a nine-year-old party, a nine, ninth birthday. So she toddled off to that one. Then we go home. <clears throat> then we have to go and pick up my oldest goddaughter, who's uh, working in, uh, in a shop. So we collected her. Then we came back. Then we had a cup of tea. Then we had to go back and then we had to collect Danielle. Then we all go off to the firework display, uh, which was at Nathan's Rugby Club. And um, <clears throat> it was all right. They weren't the best fireworks we've ever had. In fact, Danielle's school the previous year had the best fireworks of all. This year, it was a fiver to go in. And to be honest with you, standing in a field waiting for somebody to turn the lights off and, um, and start the fireworks, you know, I'd, I'd frozen myself to death by that time. And they were OK. They weren't brilliant fireworks. They were sort of so-so, you know, so-so. When I say so-so fireworks, if you could stand in a field, and there must have been a few hundred of us there, I'm looking for aerial displays. I'm not looking for a Roman candle on the ground. You know, I'm not doing that. It's as simple as that. So we, we sort of poo-pooed the fireworks, I'm afraid, a little bit. But they raised money for the rugby club uh, down in, uh, in Epping, so I can't, I can't complain about it. It was, it was OK. It was all right. Um, and then off, uh, off for dinner. At a, unfortunately, I don't know why we went there, because the last time we went there, the service wasn't all it was cracked up to be. And it's a place in the middle of uh, Epping. It used to be uh, Unico, which was really good. And then the guy sold it, which was a shame, because it was, it was the best service, the best food. It was just the best atmosphere. And it's now become this chain where the food, to be honest with you, is chronically awful. I mean, I don't mind paying for food. There was, how many were there of us? Seven. And it was 165 quid. No, I, don't, I, I think that's quite normal. It's just, it was average. You know, and when you get average food, you kind of think... I mean, at one point, Chris had ordered deep-fried brie for a starter. OK, deep-fried <clears throat> brie, which is perfectly acceptable. It's a bit of a naff thing. It's like going in and discover they've got sort of, you know, vegetable soup or something like that. Or Anyway, so he, he orders the deep-fried brie, but they actually serve it in the skillet in which they've cooked it. So it's swimming in oil. I mean, absolutely swimming in oil. And they give him three little bits of bread to mop it up, and he looked at it and he said... 
Do you think they've made a mistake and somebody's going to come over and put it on the plate properly and serve it? I said, I don't know. But they didn't. And then, of course, they, then they forgot the vegetables. You have to go, excuse me, can we? Still waiting for the vegetables for this. But this time he'd eaten his main course anyway. So all it, it was OK. The staff did their best, but they weren't very good. It was a case of lots of staff faffing around, but nobody kind of running them. So uh, bad marks all round on that one. And then, as I say, yesterday, it was the, uh, the walk in the park. And I, oh, on the, uh, that's right, on the Saturday... On the Saturday, my brother's girlfriend had said to me a few weeks ago, she tried to buy a penguin. She wanted a penguin, not a real penguin, quite clearly. And um, she wanted one to go inside the house. <clears throat> but she couldn't find a single penguin. They all came in sets of three. And so I went to the garden centre in Harlow, just sort of nipped in there on, on the way down to see the kids. And, um, and lo and behold, what did they have in there? They had a penguin, a single penguin. So I looked at it and I thought... She's going to like it. It's, it was like a smaller version of an emperor penguin, but they did a bigger version as well. The bigger version was a bit too big, but the, uh, the medium-sized one, about two foot tall, was great. So I texted my brother, go, does Marion still want the penguin? And, of course, being my brother, it takes him three days to reply. So in the end, I gave up with him, and I texted Marion. I said, are you still looking for a penguin? So she said, yes, why have you found one? And I went, yes. So I bought it anyway, because what I would have done, I wouldn't have driven away without buying it, because if she didn't want it, I'd have, I'd have kept it myself. It was so nice. So bought the penguin. So that's why I was going down to my brother yesterday to deliver the penguin. So in other words, it cost me about 60 quid in petrol to go and deliver a blasted penguin. And then we sat there and we put it on the table and we lit it up. You just sort of pluck it into the mains and it lights up. And it was really good. It was really, really good. So we're very pleased with that. And then today... With this vile, vile weather that we've got, we're going to drag in this morning for, uh, for In Conversation, Donny and Marie Osmond. Uh, Heston Blumenthal, Paul Soul's got to come in tomorrow morning early as well for a prereq for In Conversation. And I think Kirsty Allsop is coming in on Wednesday. We've got, we haven't even started the week yet, and already it's all kind of mapped out. And then, just because she couldn't get any publicity with her lame presentational skills, Tess Daly has decided the only way to get yourself in the papers is get your boobs out. And that's exactly what she did on the dancing programme last night. And so the papers are full of pictures of Tess Daly and people writing in and tweeting and twittering and saying, I can't believe it, she's got boobs. And uh, you think, yeah, but it's still that dreadful voice, isn't it? It's still that dreadful northern Bolton voice which kind of goes through you like a hammer drill and you think... It's not kind of working, is it, dear? It's not working at all. And we kicked out Colin Salmon. This was the bloke that I'd never heard of before, who stars apparently in the Bond movie. Well, I'd never even seen him. You know, as far as I was concerned, there were Bond girls, and then there was James Bond, anybody else, and it disappeared, I'm afraid, as far as I was concerned. So they kicked him out. Strangely, over on the X Factor, which is doing so badly in the ratings, they decide to kick Kai out a boy who sings for a living, as opposed to that silly little Nancy, Rylan, who, for some reason, they've kept in again. What the hell is going on with that one? And Lucy's bowed out. Lucy Spraggan has sort of given up because uh, they say it left other contestants reeling. They couldn't give a 4X, let me tell you. Nobody... The programme is so dire now. It's so awful. They've got to pension Louis Walsh off. It's sad to watch an old man in his dying years sitting there droning on about things he knows nothing about. He doesn't even know where he is, bless his heart. He sits there and they go, and Louis? And, then, and he tries to start a fake argument. Even Gary Barlow's the biggest bore under the sun now. But he must be delighted because um, he, he brought Robbie Williams back to us. And Robbie's had his first number one, solo number one, I think, in eight years. Mind you, I hate the record, but everybody else loves it. And um, as I say, it'll do very well. So he's celebrating because I think tonight... 
I think he's turning on Christmas lights. I think. I seem to remember hearing something on our sister station, Heart, about him turning on Christmas lights. Or you can win tickets to go and meet him. Because he was in this building the other week. But he came in, it was, it was, it was a bit quiet. No, nobody sort of said that he was coming in, except somebody tipped me the nod and went, Robbie Williams is coming in. So I like to hang around reception, I like to see what they look like. There was a bloke in reception the other day, and I said, who's that? They went, that's that Austrian who jumped out of the, uh, that balloon thing from 24 miles up. I thought, well, there you go. Takes all sorts, doesn't it, really? Well, I can't see myself jumping out of a hot air balloon anytime soon, but never mind. Time for a quick break, excuse me, but when we come back, we'll be talking about Gary Barlow, the nation's most loved pop star. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. Welcome back. At the start of the week, I was delighted to see that Gary Barlow has received yet another honour. That'll be the same Gary Barlow, you remember, who was sort of channelling most of his money offshore. You remember that one, don't you? That, that's the same Gary Barlow. So we've now given him another award. What has he got now? OBE, Knighthood, Sisterhood, Order of the Dominican Republic, Friars, I don't know what it's got now. It's got loads of them. Strangely enough, the Mirror this morning say, and morning, incidentally, but how are you? I don't really care, I'm just asking, it's just a normal thing, you know. It's polite, it's called, you know, being British, you go, how are you? You don't really care, because the moment somebody says to me, how are you, I start reciting my, my medical condition, and they, they soon, soon lose interest, let me tell you. But they're saying that uh, Gary is out, Simon Cowell's coming back in again for the X Factor, and apparently, according to the papers, um, <clears throat> I think it's in the sun, actually. I think it was in the sun, where they've actually got um, Louis Walsh begging for Simon to come back. I can only hope that's Louis Walsh out... Simon Cowell back in again, because, to be honest with you, you know, you don't need Louis Walsh on that show. He doesn't contribute to it. He doesn't know enough about the business, you know, to, to make a, a relevant contribution. And somebody said the other day, one of the columnists, how is he still there? Does he know where the bodies are buried, or is Simon Cowell in love with him? I mean, either way, they both sound a little bit farcical, but it's worth considering, because, I mean, he should be the one going. Gary, quite clearly, young, thrusting, knows what he's looking for, writes hit singles, should be the one there. Interestingly, Nick Grimshaw... You know, sounds like it's a working man's club, doesn't it, from up north. Ladies and gentlemen, Nick Grimshaw. And uh, he's actually said that Robbie Williams has no relevance to his audience at all now, because he's got this number one single in the charts with Candy, which I don't... I've listened to it three times now, I still don't get it. I still don't get it. I must be the only... Everybody else is going, oh, isn't it catchy? And I'm going, not really, no. Part of pants, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, some naff old MP has uh, quite clearly stuck two fingers up to her constituents, stuck two fingers up to the party, and has decided in her tiny but limited mind that she's a celebrity. So she's a celebratory MP, and she's gone out there missing crucial votes, couldn't really give her stuff, she didn't ask anybody's permission, just went out there. What a stupid woman. You'll be voting her out straight away, won't you? I hope. And uh, Mavis, as well. It's interesting, because I'd forgotten that your daughter, Ali is uh, from Coningsby. That's where we were based at REF Coningsby all those years ago in uh, in Huntingdonshire, Huntingdonshire. But uh, it's his first time at 80. She's not been well. <coughs> Join the club. We're all, we're all going, aren't we? Sl- slowly but surely. First time in 18 years she's not been uh, able to go to Luxor. They do a fostering programme in home there. They've managed to place 20 children in, uh, in homes, which is brilliant, isn't it? Brilliant. So, well done. I wish, you, I wish you better. It's doing the rounds, though, I'm afraid, at the moment. Nothing we can do about it. It's just absolutely terrible. It really, I mean, there's, you know, everybody 
I'm afraid, you know, is feeling the effects of it. It's cold, it's miserable, and, uh, and that weather affects your throat. So I'm fine. I'm absolutely fine. It's just that, you know, I've got... I've got it's not even a sore throat. It's just not there at the moment. It's, it's sort of... It pops back later on. Funny thing is, I was talking, talking to somebody the other day, and they said, makes you sound more interesting. I said, oh, good, that's fine. I hope it's not permanent. It'd be dreadful if it was permanent, wouldn't it? 84850, uk. And uh, Natasha says, I really missed you as my computer was down for a few weeks. Who will win the US election? Obama. OK, without a shadow of a doubt, it's going to be Obama. Simple as that. So uh, send us your texts and tweets. We'll weave them all into the programme between now and uh, 6.30. Should we get the texts up? Lovely. And uh, what we'll do, we'll also go through the papers later on. I mean, lots of them talking about the people in the, in the jungle. It's possibly one of the worst selections of, uh, of non-entities I've seen in a long while. I'd, I mean, perhaps they need the money. Perhaps they need the money. I can't think of any other reason why you'd be going out there. I mean, you know, as some naff, faded old has-been Tory MP going out there. Uh, you know, it's, it's just ridiculous. Um, who else? Linda Robson was the first one to jet out there. Apparently she didn't go before she's been asked, but she said no because she's got a fear of rats. Oh, you'll find loads of rats out there, let me tell you. And I don't mean the four-legged type. They'll be the ones who'll stab you in the back. They'll be the ones who just aren't, aren't very nice people. Uh, the Kardashians are back. Uh, posing in their underwear, looking a bit tarty, if you ask me, but that's uh, there. And uh, Kelly Brook apparently shows naked pictures of herself to get past US immigration officials. You liar. You blatant, blooming liar. You do not. They'd have you arrested, you stupid woman. She doesn't show nude pictures at all. She says, I've never had any trouble getting past Americans' notoriously tough security thanks to her saucy trick. Stupid woman. You're as stupid as I thought you were in the first place. Ridiculous person. Keep your big mouth shut in future. Nude pictures of yourself. Good God. Most of them are gay over there. Not going to be remotely interested in you. Silly woman. Um, what else have we got in the paper today? Well, it's going to be Obama and it's going to be uh, Mitt, isn't it, as well? And um, you'll hear it on LBC tomorrow morning because we'll go backwards and forwards to America. And uh, I mean, don't, don't think we're sort of, you know, we're going to, it's not going to be entirely the American presidential elections. Because to be honest with you, I'm not totally convinced that uh, that uh, the British people are remotely bothered. Why would you be remotely interested in something that takes place in America? I'm fascinated by by the whole amount of money that they spend on doing these presidential elections, and I'm fascinated by the lies that they spin out. And we promise you this, and we promise you that, and we're giving you this. So over here, it, it's constant, isn't it? You know, and if, and if and if the Tories get back in again, or if Labour get in, then we're definitely going to increase the uh, the minimum. Sp- Who are they appealing to? They're quite clearly appealing to people at that level. They're not appealing to uh, normal people out there, are they? Because now you've got the minimum wage in this country, but only if you're over 21. If you're under 21, you're exploited, and that's why lots of companies exploit people. Lots of big companies exploit people so they don't have to pay them very much money. They're doing exactly the same job as an adult, but you can get children much, much cheaper. And so that's what they do now. And so it doesn't make the slightest difference what the government say they, they're going to pay because the companies just go, right, we're looking for some uh, 15, 16-year-old Saturday girls and uh, we'll pay them nothing. And that's exactly what they do. And it runs, you know, it runs all the way through. Uh, who owns that gorgeous dog called Cookie? Uh, it's my, uh, it's my godchildren's dog. It is actually the most, the most wonderful dog that you've ever seen. It's absolutely gorgeous. I don't know what it is. It's sort of, a, I don't know what it is. It's just, it bounces around like Tigger. It really, it's, it's, they, they've had three dogs before this one. Three, yeah, th- three. And, um, and they were all a bit too boisterous. Th- this one's a bit boisterous, but only in little bursts. 
And it's, and it's really absolutely wonderful. <laughs> it really is wonderful. And, uh, and it's, it's just a nice, nice dog, very happy, you know, loves sort of picking up socks and slippers and everything else and belting around the sitting room at high speed. Uh, looks like you enjoyed the Osmonds, says Pat. Nice to talk to someone with some talent, eh? Seemed genuinely nice. They were absolutely charming. Funny thing is, they, uh, they came in and uh, we, we just, we had a good chat. I've done Donnie before. I know there were loads of fans outside the building and I'd never met Marie. And uh, so, I mean, as you saw from the picture, which I tweeted yesterday, I mean, she's absolutely gorgeous. There's a picture in the paper today. I mean, she is stunning. I don't care whether they've had work done or they haven't had work done. They were just nice professional people. They're so professional... They are so professional that what, what, they, uh, what they're doing this morning, they are flying back from here into Las Vegas. So it's a 10-hour flight, 10 and a half hour, whatever it is. And two hours after they land, they're on stage. They, I mean, I said to her, I said, I don't know, you've got the stamina. She said, that's what we do for a living. That's what they do. They actually are going to be flying back, so you've got that ten-and-a-half-hour flight, boring as hell. It really, it's dull, you know. Imagine just being sitting, sitting in a room for ten hours, twiddling your thumbs and looking out the window. It's, a, it's as bad as that. Two hours after they land, um, they're on stage. But uh, they will be fantastic. Ian says, I wonder if it was tastefully done that Kelly Brook would consider keeping her clothes on for her next project. I just wish she'd keep her mouth shut. You know, she opens her mouth and just garbage comes out. I show them a nude picture and that gets me through customs, you stupid woman. Stupid woman. As if that worked, I'd have shown them nude pictures of me ages and ages ago. Um, 84850, uk. Um, other stories of the paper. This is the, um... Three UK tourists have been accused of murdering this Afghanistani-bound British soldier in Cyprus. Interesting that these, um... These uh, men here, who've been remanded in custody, Mohammed Osman, he admitted stabbing David, although he claimed it was in self-defence. When they went back to his hotel room, they found 11 knives and marijuana. Small wonder these people went into court with their hands covering their faces. I bet their families are going to be thrilled to bits. That's our sons, the murderers over there in Ayanapa. The soldiers have been told not to go to Ayanapa before. Uh, they weren't drinking. I don't know what the argument was over, I wasn't there. But uh, very embarrassing that three Pakistani men are now in custody because they, they took knives to a nightclub. And we asked the question the other week, what person takes knives to a nightclub? What person keeps 11 knives in their room and marijuana? I mean, it's, it's beggar's belief, doesn't it, really, I'm afraid? Just beggar's belief. I see that um, uh, Kai Soans... You know, the one who you evicted from The X Factor, shame on you all, has blasted Christopher Maloney, saying the show will lose credibility if he wins. Oh, he's a fraud. He's a fake. Apparently, according to a lot of people, he texts himself to win. Uh, but he's, he's a fraud. You know he's a fraud. We've told you he's a fraud before. He can't sing. He's an embarrassment to all concerned. In fact, actually, half the show is an embarrassment. Kai, you're better off without it. Much better off. It's given you a bit of a launch pad, but uh, the rest of them, frauds. Frauds. Uh, producers for the I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, they've got a gingerbread house love den. Well, that's not going to be happening for 90% of the people going in there. They're all in relationships. Why would you want a love den? I mean, I, I really can't understand it at all. I mean, Brian Connolly in a relationship. Uh, Doctor actor Colin Baker in a relationship. David Hay, the boxer, in a relationship. Eric Bristow in a relationship. Um, U US wrestler The Rock whatever the God's name that is, and Pussycat Doll that nobody's ever heard of, Ashley Roberts, 190. Uh, add to that, Helen Flanagan, still not working after Coronation Street, Chelsea Hunk, Hugo Taylor, 
boring as hell. And, um, and who else did they put in? Oh, yes, uh, uh, and that was it, actually. That was it. But they're hoping that there's going to be romances. Well, with whom? Who in God's name is going to be starting a romance in the jungle? Helen Flanagan's in a relationship. I mean, she needs to be. She's got to have somebody to talk to. She's got no cast members or anything like that. But uh, she's going to be looking a little bit naff. And Linda Robson's threatened to wear a bikini. I shudder just thinking about it. Anything but the bikini. At six, I'll be talking to Heston Blumenthal and Kirsty Allsop for In Conversation With. But after the break, you'll get to listen to how me and Ian Dale brought you the news that Barack Obama won the US presidential election. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. Morning. You're listening to The Best Bits of Steve Allen on LBC 97.3. Coming up at six, we'll hear about Heston Blumenthal's amazing new show. And Kirsty Allsop tells you about arts, crafts and vintage homes. Let's carry on with my best bits. And on Wednesday morning, myself... My colleague Ian Dale and a few of his friends in Washington brought you the US election as it unfolded. They love it in America. They absolutely love it. I mean, you, here, you know, we have the exit polls and we sit there and we have graphs and we do this and that and, and, we, and we try and sort of understand it and make, and make sort of head nor tail of it. In, in America, they're, they're just, they're glued to it. Even when I was over there a few weeks ago, uh, all over the television in Vegas, every news channel, everybody was doing because we had a barmer who pitched up in Vegas. So uh, Ian Dale's in Washington DC. Morning, Ian. Good morning, Steve. How are you? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated by it. Well, I'm not fascinated by it. I have, I have to hold my hands up and say that electioneering leaves me cold. I'm afraid. <laughs> oh, I love it. Do you? <laughs> do you really? What, well, do. what is it that you like about it? Well, I don't know. There's, it's got an addictive quality, actually. I just love... It doesn't matter what the country is. If there's an election going on, I want to follow it on TV or radio. If there's a German election going on, I will be watching it. I do happen to speak German, so that, that helps a bit, I suppose. Yes, yes. But American elections, I think, are probably some of the most fascinating of all, partly because of the, the amounts of money involved. It, mm. it, it is absolutely astonishing. Well, Ian, just, just, just very quickly, where are you? Have you moved studios? We, we've moved studios because Radio New Zealand kicked us out for or half an hour. So oh, for God's sake, who cares about them? Who cares well, about do them? Know, do you know, that is exactly my view <laughs> yes. as well. I, Radio I, I, who? I mean... I mean, what, what kind of countries needs them? Four million sheep, that's what lives Yes, there, and it, it rains all the time, it, only good for it, filming it, Jurassic Park, because that's the I age of the people. There, do you know, I went there for three days. I got taken to a place that they thought was the biggest tourist attraction in the country, and it basically stank. It was all yeah. sort of these geezers and geysers gushing up, and it, and it did rain the whole time. So yes. uh, we, we are in uni- unanimity on that. Well, unfortunately, you now sound like you're in a cupboard. Well, we kind of are. Oh, right, so I see. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, if, if, if you look round, is, is there a cistern above your head, maybe, and you're sitting on the toilet? Um, no, it's not quite that bad. <laughs> but uh, we, we, we're back in our other studio in about half an hour, so... Uh, oh, just, we, just tell two, them we don't two, care about we, them. We've got two microphones between three of us, so apologies if, um, <laughs> if it all goes wrong. OK, um, so just, listen, the last time that you checked, do you, do you want to do, do our round-up now? Well, let, let's do a round-up, because I, when I was speaking to Duncan the last time, I kind of called this election for Obama, which is a, a very risky thing to do for any political pundit, but it just seems to me that he can't go wrong now. He's apparently got 256 electoral college votes. He needs 270, so I can't see that he isn't going to get those. That, that's according to one network. Um, he's, he's slightly ahead in Florida. If he wins Florida, if he wins Pennsylvania, if he wins Colorado, um, Romney really can't win. Romney has got to win 
Ohio, and Obama's apparently polling ahead there. So it's not looking good for Mitt Romney. According to Candy Crawley from CNN, um, it, it, the Romney campaign aren't answering their phones or emails for the la- haven't been answering them for the last hour. So that probably tells you all you need to know. Oh, sorry. All of a sudden, I, I lost I, you I, then. I, I, well, I thought I'd lost you. I was thinking, <laughs> no, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do now? It's all quiet. Should we talk to my guest here for a oh, couple yes, of minutes? Oh, yes, please. I've, I've got a guest, Jordan Lieberman from Campaign Grid. Jordan, good evening. It's good to be with you, Ian. Um, is your microphone working? I'm not sure know. it is. It's, it sounds a little bit vague. Right, dials I, here. I, th- I, think it, I, I think it works now, so we're, we're okay. okay. I just, I just, I'm not used to self-operating, as they say, so I've just twiddled a knob <laughs> and somehow Jordan's come on air, so that's good. Now, Jordan, you're from Campaign Grid. Just tell us exactly what your company does. Sure. First, I, I want to thank you for this hardware. This is uh, the only hardware I've seen worse is, is, is the Canadians. So. <laughs> uh, okay. Thank you very <laughs> Back much. Back to Campaign for that. Grid. We, we do voter targeted online advertising, which means we deliver online advertising with precision of direct mail or telemarketing. Uh, it doesn't, we don't do much of this in Europe because it's uh, generally illegal, uh, but it works well in America. So the, the amount of money spent on this campaign has been phenomenal. Two billion dollars, I'm told, that the campaigns have spent. In a British general election, our political parties spend about 50 million dollars between them. Can we really say that the American public has learned more about the candidates, even with this level of spending? Well, sure, we're educating the public in uh, a lot of different ways. I think that two billion number is probably, a, 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 at best, an ad guess. The reason is that there's a tremendous amount of um, undocumented spending through nonprofits. So, you know, it's becoming more and more difficult to actually track the spending. Um, but, you know, I, if anything, I think you guys should be spending more. Do you? Why, why, why? You see, elections shouldn't be about spending money. Elections should be about candidates telling the people what they're going to do and then, when they're elected, doing it. Right. They don't have to have this expensive marketing campaign of TV ads all the time. We don't have any TV ads in Britain. Well, you, you know, but the problem is that in, in Britain, people are not making decisions based on the issues. They're just uh, basing perhaps on um, incomplete information. So well, I think here people learn, you know, learn about the candidates and, uh, you know, they spend this time. They're making good judgments. And I think it, typically the, the better candidate wins. Uh, Daniel Forrester, you, we first met back in 1992 when you were on a British general election campaign in Norwich. Now, from what you've seen in our country and from what you've seen here, does, does money really buy a better election campaign? You know, it's uh, my, my first-hand experience is that I was very pleased when I watched the British and, and the electorate. I found that there was th- the period of time that we make Americans focus from the primary to this moment tonight is almost unconscionable. In an age in which the amount of information coming at them from multiple channels is is bombarding them, they really don't pay attention until the last 60 days. So there, to me, there's just a huge just, just, just amount of data out there. In the British system, i, I got to tell you, it was clean, it was neat, it was 45 days or less, uh, and it struck me that people could focus. Of course, there's a lot of posturing, Ian, that happens before the general election over there. So, And there is also a process where you have a very public debate uh, involving the leader of the country on a weekly basis, which which is something I, I've often thought would be very powerful for our leaders to do, mm. although I think many of them would crumble inside a, inside a <laughs> theater of the way that the British have. So I think, it, I think there's some, some deltas there and some lessons learned, but there's something about this uh, general campaign process that adds to fed fatigue that I think is hurting our democracy in some ways. Now, I, I know that Steve's going to be talking about celebrity endorsements and, and how they work or don't work sometimes in elections. What, why is it that politicians in this country and indeed our own, we've just had one of one of our uh, politicians going into a reality TV show. Nadine Doris is going into the jungle and I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. Well, the Conservative Party have just shot her out of the Conservative Party 
actually for, for doing that. But why, why is it that uh, celebrity endorsements have become so important, Jordan? Well, credibility matters. And I think in this, in this case, you're trying to get someone's attention. And, you know, I'm a big follower of Bruce Springsteen. And, you know, he, he spent a lot of time uh, following uh, Barack Obama around. And, you know, not, it, you know, it got my attention. And, and while I'm listening to the concert, I might listen to uh, Barack Obama's but, speech. And, but seriously, is anybody going to change their vote because Bruce Springsteen says, I support Barack Obama? They'd have to be pretty stupid to do that. Well, I'm not going to... Uh, Call, call every American uh, that intelligent, but, but I think what happens is you know you boost turnout, you get turnout, you know turnout from the you know, high 60s or low 70s percent, I mean, close I, to 80 percent. It I, helps. I mean, Steve, back in London, if Kerry Katona said I support Ed Miliband, mm. do you think it would get a single vote for Ed Miliband? No. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, interestingly <laughs> enough, you're absolutely right. It's been I, proven I, in every survey that uh, if there is a celebrity endorsement, it makes not one scrap of difference. No, well, well, I don't think so. So what, what other celebrity endorsements have we had in, in this election, Daniel and Jordan? Well, I think most of them tend to go to the Democrats. I mean, you have Hollywood that, in this case, have been in love with Barack Obama since the day that they met him. I mean, this was a man who had guys like Jay-Z. Uh, and you Jay-Z, had, as we like to call him. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Makes it sound almost like he, like, like he has an art form that he actually gives into. So I think it tends to be correlated. I mean, in the end, I don't think the celebrity endorsements really matter. You know, when you watch Bruce, Spring, Bruce Springsteen, who I love, by the way. I voted for Mitt Romney, and I've got Bruce Springsteen on the cover of my Facebook page. Uh, you know, he played to a, uh, an unsold-out show this last night with with Obama, really? which, was, which is another indicator. Uh, Romney had 30,000 people in the cold in Pennsylvania, and you have Bruce Springsteen opening for the President of the United States, and it was not a full arena. So that was sort of a telling moment that some of us read in and said, my goodness, if Bruce can't fill in for the, for the great communicator, who will? And do we know who Kim Kardashian supports? I don't think it matters, and whoever she voted for really, you know, I, I don't think that they'd want that support. So it's just <laughs> <laughs> well, Jordan Lehman, let's get a, a final word from you. Um, I mean, after this election, I mean, what, what does your company do over the next few years? I mean, there's no presidential election for another four years. Do you sort of right. go into hibernation for four years? I would like to. I'll, I'll sleep for a week. But no, no, there's a lot of public affairs work. We've got the fiscal cliff to, to uh, talk about. That's going to be coming up any minute. Uh, we've got off-year elections. We've got mayoral campaigns. We've got businesses to, to support and advocate for. Uh, we had a lot going on. We did as much work in 2011 as we did in 2010, and I'm hoping to do as much in 2013 as we did in 2012. Well, that was a bit of a turnaround a bit fast, wasn't it? <laughs> it was, I'm not sure if it's a damp squib or not. Do you know, it's, it's very interesting that uh, Sky News, they projected that Romney, that Obama was going to win about half an hour ago, and then very cheekily tweeted 20 minutes later, oh, see, the BBC have got catch, caught up with us. <laughs> well, if you were listening to me on Duncan Barks, I projected this 45 minutes ago, so we beat Sky News and the BBC. Well, wait a minute, I did it earlier, I did it yesterday. I said did it was going to be an Obama win. <laughs> well, OK. I didn't okay, think it was going to come through so fast, though. I think there's a, is there a dispute in the, uh, in the Romney camp about the Ohio? vote. Well, they are disputing that, which I think is probably the wrong thing to do. Toby Harden, who's the Daily Mail's US correspondent, he's just tweeted the Romney decision not to concede yet is just the first stage of grief. Denial. Cruel, <laughs> but true. Yes, it is. It is true. It's, uh, well, I'm, I'm looking at the images and, you know, the Romney camp, they're all standing around. Nobody really knows. They look stunned, to be honest with you. 
Well, I think any, anybody who's experienced electoral defeat, Steve, and mm. believe me, I have, it, 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 is, it is quite a stunning thing. You don't want to talk to anybody, mm. even your closest friends. You just want to sort of be on your own, and I think that they will be suffering a sort of form of collective grief at the moment. Daniel Forrester's with me here, Steve. Um, Daniel, that, that's, that's only to be expected, isn't it? I mean, they know they've lost. They've got to come to terms with it. I think they do, and, you know, it's going to be very interesting. I just talked to uh, an official that was very close to the governor uh, who we had on earlier, Mitchell Reese, uh, and he reminded me that, you know, the, the journey with Mitt Romney did not begin in this last uh, election cycle that we're now leaving. Uh, he was a candidate of uh, substantial uh, merit back in 2008 and was, you know, considered by many to either have been on the ticket possibly for John McCain or to have beaten him at, at many had hoped for. So, you know, the process of grieving uh, gets longer, the longer that you're in the arena, the way that Richard Nixon used to say. And uh, Mitt was in the arena for a long time seeking uh, this presidential moment that clearly is not going to happen tonight. I think he will come out soon. Uh, I don't think there's much of a conspiracy here. Everyone in the world just waits for with speed. They, we, we believe that speed subsumes reflection. Uh, and I think you're going to watch the governor come out and be very gracious and talk about uh, – and that's that's a hallmark of Mitt Romney, by the way. He didn't run a nasty campaign. He didn't run a degrading campaign. He didn't degrade himself, his family, their record. Uh, he lost, however – to a incumbent that many of us thought was weak, uh, with an economy behind them that is still anemic, with millions of people out of work, with millions of people on food stamps, and the trend and trajectory for our government and its spending in something that was unsustainable. Many of us thought that this was the moment, uh, but it didn't happen tonight. Now, when George W. Bush won re-election in 2004, he said, I've earned political capital, and boy, am I now going to spend it. Do you think that's what Barack Obama will do? If Barack Obama reads into any notion of political capital when the, uh, when the landscape tonight suggests that at a popular vote level, he is likely not to hold the popular vote. He is squeaking by with the presidency in many respects. It'll, it'll sound like it was a little bit bigger when this is all said and done. Uh, this is a president who's going to have some real sobriety coming his way tomorrow morning when he realizes that the actors inside the House are, haven't really changed, that the Senate, uh, who is stuck in a, in, 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 a, in a cycle of just inaction and lack of decision-making, and he better change a governing style here. In the end, there's one president, and I often think to myself, uh, his best moments may be to channel someone like Bill Clinton, who is able to read the political tea leaves and to see something different, because uh, I don't think that the Republican Party is going to change quickly, even though I think that this is a wake-up call for the Republican Party after two major defeats. See, I knew it all along and called in days ago. Obama was just a shoe in My only grievance was how long it took him to come and give his acceptance speech. I mean, there's, there's building suspense and then there's just being a bit of a diva. In conversation with Heston Blumenthal and Kirsty Allsop to come at six, but when we come back, I'll be talking about my old friends, London's black cab drivers. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. Welcome back. Earlier in the week, we stumbled across one of my favourite subjects, London taxi drivers. For some reason, I'm, I'm hearing all these bizarre stories on the radio about taxis who won't do this and won't do that. One of my favourite topics, as you know. And, uh, and I was amazed to hear a Jewish taxi driver who wears his, his kippah and he sits in the car and people say, I'm not getting in the car with a Jewish... I've never heard such things. I've never heard that in my... In all my years I've lived in London, I've never heard 
And to be honest with you, I never even look at dry. You see that you see their little happy faces, and you go. I say little happy faces. You know, sometimes, otherwise, sometimes downright blooming miserable faces. And you say, I want to go so and so. I couldn't care less whether they're black, white, pink, green, gay, straight. Most of them are gay, and um, and wondering whether they're Jewish or not. But I mean, if you've stood there waiting for a taxi, and a taxi turns up, I couldn't care less who it is driving it. All you're doing is going from A to B. A to B. Can you put them all up? Can you put all the, uh, the text up, Nick? Thank you. We'd like to see everything on this programme. I'd like to see what's been written over the, uh, over the past few hours. Makes it mildly entertaining for me. Uh, as does... I'm going to have to disagree with... I don't, I, don't, I don't disagree with Duncan very often. But uh, he was talking about this, uh, this Nadine Doris, who's getting all the publicity because she's outspoken. You know, and this apparently is the big celebrity thing there, if you're outspoken. I've always said that the reason poor Toby Anstis didn't do as well in the jungle is because he's nice. He's a nice person. You know, nice people. You'd think that we would embrace nice people, but no, if you've got an edge. I mean, some people say this programme's got a bit of an edge because, you know, it's actually a presenter who's got an opinion and is saying exactly what you're thinking. OK, so maybe two people disagree. Who gives a stuff about them? You don't care about them. Loonies anyway. So when you see Nadine Doris in it, I just see her as some ancient old show-off who's got her tired, haggard old boobs out... You know, to be honest with you, you might as well get two wheelbarrows and stick them in there, because they're going to be down by your knees by the end of the blooming programme. And she says, oh, I'm going to go in there and talk about abortion and the rate... And I'm thinking, no, you're not. This is an entertainment programme, sweetie. It's for people to sit there and watch and have a bit of a laugh, not listen to some old bag droning on about her boring opinions on... that. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. It's entertainment. If I'd wanted something like that, you might as well just televise the House of... Oh, we do televise the House of Commons. But nobody watches it. The only people who watch it are a sort of egotistical MPs. I mean, this woman quite clearly is so big-headed and so full of herself that she thinks people are interested in her opinions because she's clashed with the government. Nobody cares about her. She's a wizened old bag. She's desperate to be a celebrity. As Anne Whittacombe advised the other day, you can make a ghastly mistake on this one. She'll come back. They'll kick her out of the party. I hope they will. If I was in her constituents, I'd want her out straight away because she quite clearly isn't remotely interested in what we do. Is she going to give the money to charity? Shouldn't imagine so. Why would she bother giving it to charity? She's lining her own pockets, as indeed do all these celebrities out there. It's a shame, really, because the, the actions of a third-rate MP is going to overshadow the genuine talent in there, but I hope they edit it carefully just to show what a boring old baggage she is. Anyway, that little rant's over. Got that one out of the way. But it's, it's of no interest, is it? It's of no interest, really, when an MP goes in there. We've seen it with the Hamiltons... You know, and I think Christine Hamilton, I mean, she then turned into a sort of celebrity. Then they went on to do pantomime. He was always a bit of a joke character. She was always the feisty one, finding out how much the expenses were, whether they got paid, you know, this and that, how much the fee was. She was always very keen on that sort of stuff. And Whittacombe was a little short, fat bird, you know, blessed with looks, not. And uh, she was out there attempting to dance, couldn't do it, but turned into a joke figure. But yet, strangely enough, a laugh a minute is something she ain't. You know, you would think somebody like that, you'd see them in the circus rolling over and people throwing buckets of water over them and she'd be all happy and jolly. No, she's not a happy, jolly little person. That's why she's got a face like a squashed marshmallow every time you see her. She's, she's little Miss Misery all the time because she's, she's single. She's never had the love of a good man to look after her. You know, and that's what Anne Whittacombe needs. She needs somebody, even her, you know, grand old age now of 173, she needs somebody to take her out to show her a bit of a good time. A bit of a, you know, take her round. Don't take her anywhere near a dance place because she can't dance. And also, just remember that every time she walks past a millet store or one of those outdoor camping places, she thinks that's a clothing store. 
OK, because most of it is tent size. And that's the size that Anne Whittacombe fits into. But she was another MP. She could have been really good, but she decided to do the celebrity route. So now, you know, she embraces it. I said yesterday she's doing the Sooty show. You know, I feel a bit sorry for Sooty. Because there's not, not really a lot of choice he's, he's got in it. Perhaps he can squirt her with a water pistol. You know, she's tried the diet. She's tried that. She's literally thrown herself onto every programme. She has prostituted herself across as many spheres as you can think of. And at the end of the day, she's still the short, fat, little, unattractive woman who sort of has an opinion, but nobody really gives us stuff anymore. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. But I care about, you know, an MP I'd never even heard of before thinking in her tiny little mind that she's a celebrity. She's not. She's outspoken, but there again, anybody can be outspoken. You know, you can be outspoken, but ooh, makes you controversial. No, it doesn't. I remember hearing radio presenters years ago, one radio presenter in particular, who uh, thought he was being... Co- you remember we had when radio first... Uh, not when it first started in this country, but in America, they had shock jocks. And the shock jock would say something, you go, oh, I can't believe they've said that. I can't believe that. <sighs> ooh, that was pushing the boat out on that one. And so a few people tried it in this country. <clears throat> and to be honest with you, not one of them has survived. Not one. I've seen them come, I've seen them go. People who say to me, oh, you know, you always, you know, you, you sail close to the wind. I say, yeah, I sail close to the wind because I've been doing it long enough to know exactly what the law is. You know, if I say all estate agents are bent, there's no action taken there. You cannot libel a group of people. If I said Fred Bloggs, who lives at 23 Chapel Row, Southampton, is a bent estate agent, he's got all the right to come back to me. If I go, estate agents will cheat you out of every penny under the sun because you don't trust them. That's fair, fair comment. You can't libel a group of people. If you say that all, all black cab drivers are cheating, you can't libel a group of people. If I said Fred Bloggs, who lives at 23 Union Road, who drives a black cab, he's identifiable. If they, see, luckily, I know the law. I know what the law is in this country. And so, it, you know, it serves me very, very well indeed. So when you, when you see people saying things in the shock jocks, I remember listening to one of them and he said, he said, I was coming in at work tonight, because I wanted to talk like that for some reason. I don't know why, so, you know, salt of the earth, man of the people, all that kind of rubbish. And he said, I was coming to work, he said, and I, I saw this bloke throw a bit of rubbish out of his car window. So I pulled in front of him, went back, picked up the rubbish and threw it in his car window. I thought, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. You're just making it up to make yourself sound interesting. Anyway, luckily, he was bounced off the radio station fairly quickly. I heard another one once saying to a caller, I hope you, I hope you get cancer and die. Even I complained over that one. And luckily, they were fired immediately afterwards. But, you know, there are certain things you can say. Nobody's interested in a shock jock. You don't mind people telling the truth. If you tell the truth about somebody, that's fine. You know, I heard somebody earlier on talking to Duncan. And he would say, oh, we should dig Jimmy Savile up and drag him through the streets of London. I thought, you're as barking mad as you sound, aren't you? This is, this is a person who sounded quite ancient. So I'm assuming he was, you know, very geriatric. Because I thought, wait a minute, at this precise moment, irrespective of how many people have crawled out of the woodwork and said this and that, that happened, Jimmy Savile's been found guilty of nothing. I know that there is an overwhelming amount of evidence which is looking towards the fact that he might be guilty of something. What? We do not know. But to sort of talk about, you know, digging him up... I don't remember Jimmy Savile being prosecuted for anything. I'm not forgiving anything at all. You know, not forgiving anything at all. But to talk about digging him up. This from an old man who, you say, I tell you what, mate, I've heard you're a racist. You know, and then you start, and before you know where you are, you can build up a case against somebody. You know, that, that, that would be quite interesting. You'd be going, no, wait a minute, I haven't been found guilty of anything. Well, that's exactly what you're doing. It's exactly what you're doing. Wait till somebody's been found guilty of something. Then you can, then you can jump on the bandwagon. But the idea of digging him up. You know, and then, so, who was the other one who came on? God, there was another one who came on. We seemed to drag them all out the woodwork last night, or this morning. And it was somebody who said, 
they must have known something about him would happen. That's why they encased him in concrete. I thought, God in heaven, you must be so twisted to believe that. They didn't think anything at all. They really didn't think anything at all. No. What do you think the funeral... I mean, if the funeral director had known that, do you think he would have gone ahead with the funeral? No, they'd have passed it to somebody else. They encased him in concrete because there was a rumour he was going to be covered in jewellery, his very famous jewellery. Now then, now then, the big chunky bracelets and all that. And so there would be people in this day and age, I suppose, who would want to go and dig somebody up. I mean, perish the blooming thought. I've never... You know, that hasn't happened for donkey's years. And so that's why they buried him at an angle. They didn't bury him in concrete in a steel case, which it isn't, of course, uh, because they thought that uh, all of this would have happened years ago. Otherwise, they wouldn't have buried him in the cemetery. They'd have cremated him. Why don't people think, you know, it's the old broadcaster's prayer. If only you'd applied to some callers, engage brain before opening your mouth, because otherwise it makes you look very silly. Sadly, don't panic. They don't like it up them. That's Clive Dunn. He died at the age of 92 the other day, a legend. I interviewed him. Oh, God, donkeys years ago, because he had a record out in the charts called Grandad. And he played old when, in fact, he was actually quite young. So when he was in Dad's army, he, play, he pl- played, um, you know, don't, don't, don't panic, don't panic. But he was actually a lot younger than he was playing. He put on the moustache and he became old because he was, had one of those sort of faces. In fact, to be honest with you, I didn't even know he was still alive. Lived in Portugal, had an operation, 92, blooming good innings. So well done. Well done to Clive, who just came across as a nice man. Just came across, and I'm delighted to say that still one of the main stalwarts of Dad's army, the lovely Pamela Cundell, is still very much alive and kicking and uh, listens avidly to LBC. We've got loads of celebrity listeners. I don't want to mention celebrities we have listening because they're, they're what I call proper celebrities, not sort of third-rate MPs who sort of, you know... I mean, can you imagine... You know, your grandmother going to, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, and then getting her boobs out on day one. I mean, really? I mean, I don't want to see any naked flesh at all. I'm not re- I don't know why they're so interested in, in sort of, you know, people taking their clothes off and having a relationship. Charlie Brooks is in there, and I think she's in EastEnders, so she might be out at the moment. And they've got Ashley Roberts. Nobody knows who Ashley Roberts is. She was a pussycat doll, but she's no- you've never even heard of her. You could, you could show a picture to people on the ice street, they wouldn't. they probably think she works in Poundland or something. Uh, Hugo Taylor is one of the blokes from the Made in Chelsea group. I mean, I, he's, he's a bit naff, actually. He's, he's not as butch as, uh, as he would like to be. Uh, and they've got Brian Connolly. He'll be a good laugh. Brian will be a really good laugh. But uh, Helen, Helen Flanagan, what a dreary waste of time. Girl, blimey, 22 and washed up already. Never mind, as the papers say, she's got big boobs. That's all we care about, isn't it? Hey, big boobs, win on this show. Not always. Coming up next, it's my In Conversation this week with Heston Blumenthal and the very lovely Kirsty Allsop. But first, it's the news at six. Well, those were my best bits from the week. I'm back tomorrow morning at 4am and throughout the week, so join me then. You can download the podcast from the LBC website. Go to lbc.co.uk. And, of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Steve Allen Show. Coming up next, you'll be hearing from Heston Blumenthal and Kirsty Allsop, so make sure you stay tuned. But now, the latest news at six.